1: Hello and welcome to Seriously, the new Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously.
0: I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're talking about the Amazon original series, The Marvellous Mrs Maisel, and the new single from Louis Tomlinson, Miss You. We've also watched the Netflix
1: adaptation of Margaret Atwood's novel Alias Grace for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. It's December, Caroline. Isn't that exciting? I'm listening to Christmas music permanently.
0: <laughs> Are you already? I haven't started yet, although I am going to the switch on of my village's Christmas tree lights this evening.
1: Oh my God. What What is that like? I don't know. I didn't go
0: last How year. How many lights I, do they have? I don't know. I think it might just
1: be on the one tree. Yeah, I'm imagining literally one tree and maybe like one string of lights between two houses.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, it's pretty exciting. Apparently they're going to be Christmas nibbles, according to the invitation.
1: Well, that's lovely. Yeah, I have seen both Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2. We did a special on these two Home Alone movies last year, which you can check out. Just Google SRSLY Home Alone should come up. So, yeah, I'm fully into my festive period. As you know, those two movies are very important to my Christmas every year. And I went to a special festive cinema screening of Home Alone One. And then me and my housemates watched Home Alone Two this weekend. And I'm just listening to the soundtrack permanently because it's quite good, like writing music, because there's not that many vocals.
0: It is very good. It's got good momentum and impetus, doesn't it? I was in a shop the other day and suddenly just went, aha. I know what is happening. I need to quickly booby trap everything. That's what this music makes me feel like I'm doing.
1: That is so funny. I've also I've seen Elf this year already. I'm really on it with the Christmas movies. Wow. I love it. I think Muppet's Christmas Carol might be next on my list.
0: You are really getting into it early. Mm-hmm. Like it is only the first week of December just I know. about. Yeah. I know. Which reminds us something we should tell listeners as you will know if you've been listening to seriously for 100 plus episodes as obviously you all have <laughs> that we like to Christmas pretty big and pretty elaborately oh, and yeah. we normally give you a special thematic one-off special episode. I said special twice, that's how special it is. <laughs> <laughs> and this year will be no different so we will be doing that subject to be revealed but it is in the works.
1: Though it will be slightly different. That is, there is a key element of surprise here.
0: Yeah, there is. It's a little bit of a departure, but hopefully in a good way. Yeah. And we'll also be reviewing all of the mostly British Christmas TV. So if that's your jam, keep subscribed over Christmas and New Year and you'll get that.
1: I must flag Christmas highlights may include known hottie (gasps) Grantchester.
0: we're so excited about this
1: (laughs) may or may not (laughs) hopefully may yeah so loads of exciting things coming up at Christmas and in the new year for seriously so keep your eyes peeled listeners Your ears peeled peel those ears like a nice tangerine (laughs)
0: We should say as well that we've finally started doing. We've had this thing on our website for ages that's like, sign up for our newsletter, and we never actually do anything with it. But I've actually got myself organised and started doing something with it. So if you go to seriouslypod.com forward slash newsletter and sign up, you'll get a little alert every time a new episode comes out, and also first news of our Christmas plans, the big plans we have for the new year with a new episode strand thingy. And yeah also quizzes you'll find out what the subject of our upcoming events and quizzes are which is something that people ask us quite a lot mm. or actually more accurately they ask us when's your next harry potter quiz
1: i know i was just saying we should open up a portal into another dimension and then we can just have one ongoing harry potter quiz that all the harry potter stands can walk in and out of because that's basically the direction our life is heading it now <laughs> <laughs> just a permanent <laughs> harry potter quiz hoster gonna make it my full-time job
0: but yeah so we do do a lot of harry potter quizzes but sometimes we like to mix it up and do other things mm-hmm. they've been gilmore girls twin peaks game of thrones and we reserve the right to do other topics if yeah. we so choose but yeah so if you sign up for the newsletter you will be the first to know about the dates and subjects of that kind of thing
1: amazing well thank you caroline for being organized seriously listeners should <laughs> note that anytime anything organized happens it's because of caroline not me so well done <laughs> caroline
0: <laughs> yeah i'm not sure about the organization but but things mostly seem to happen. <laughs> Should we roll on with the first yeah. thing? Yeah. I'm so excited. I feel like this has been coming for so I'm long. I'm so
1: excited too. This feels really festive to me as well. It's a great December option.
0: Yeah. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is an Amazon original series written by Amy Sherman Palladino, who's also the creator of Gilmore Girls, as you all know. It follows the fortunes of Midge Maisel, an Upper East Side housewife in New York in 1958. She appears to have the perfect life with lovely children, a great apartment, a loving husband and a really comfortable lifestyle. Then it it all falls apart when her husband leaves her for his secretary, and she finds herself taking to the stage in an impromptu stand-up set to talk about her troubles.
1: Who we'll gives the toast at her own wedding? I do. I love this man, and yes, there is shrimp in the egg rolls.
0: <gasps> Rabbi, just kidding. We want to be downtown people, close to the clubs. I thought you wanted to be a cool chick. I can be a cool chick with a doorman and a Calvino Futurama refrigerator, can't I?
1: Yes, you can.
0: <laughs> Sometimes I get a feeling. It Joel left you. <laughs> Why? What did you do? Did you ever think you were supposed to be something, and you, and you suddenly realize you're not? Yes married. I get a feeling that I never, never had before, I was a great wife. I was
1: fun. I can't believe I'm losing him to Penny Pan. That's her name. Penny (laughs) Pan. I'm sorry, but look at me. Who wouldn't
0: want to come home to this every night? And I gotta tell you right now. Think Bob newhart has got a set of these at home? Rickles, maybe. 15 years so I've been working at clubs, okay? Twice have I seen someone deliver the goods. What are you talking about? I'm talking about your act. I am a mother. I don't have an act. And you will when we're done. Hi,
1: everybody. I
0: heard some uptown chick got arrested doing a set. What's the crime? Simulating a sex act while on stage. That's is Mrs. Maisel. She's gonna do what with the life? <sighs> Sit around all day long eating bonbons. Is that what you want for her? Of course not. That's what's gonna happen. It's not. It's Get, tough. Out. Get out of here. Miss... Yes, Comedy thing, it has to work. I'm gonna count to five. One. That's the end of my show, folks. Tune in next week when my grandmother steals my pearls and my boyfriend.
1: We charge for pictures now. There's something here about miming a whore tickling a man's testicles. Oh, I did. Yeah, she did. It was funny exactly so we talked about the pilot yes in a lot of detail in an earlier episode of seriously if you want to hear about that first episode in detail because we really enjoyed the structure of it and mm. the way that it introduced us to the
0: characters
1: but this week we're going to talk about some of the rest of the series right
0: yeah so the whole first series is now up on amazon prime mm-hmm. or i don't know what do they call it amazon instant video whatever yeah. they like Netflix equivalent, but for Amazon is. The whole lot's on there. So, yeah, brief side note, Amy Sherman Palladino, queen of streaming TV. She has, like, the hottest Netflix thing.
1: As does Rachel Brosnahan, who plays the lead, because mm. she's, like, House of Cards and other streaming shows and now this, so... Streaming Dons, clearly.
0: Yeah, and so this is obviously hugely anticipated because Sherman Palladino is such an acclaimed TV writer. I mean, Gilmore Girls has the biggest, I'd say, cult following, but stuff like Bunheads as well. I feel there are people Mm -hmm. who are genuinely devotees of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, any new stuff from her is always a big TV event. And this, nonetheless, although I suppose it is a little bit of a departure of her in that it's a period show. It's very meticulously researched and situated in this particular Upper East Side wealthy Jewish milieu and really explores family dynamics and stuff within that. But then we've also got a lot of similarities. You wrote about this in one of your several pieces about this, that if you boil down Mrs Maisel, she is a fast-talking brunette with a lot of problems to get off her chest. And we've met some of those before.
1: Yeah, her show's always anchored with this Lorelei figure. And I think it's so important in an Amy Sherman Palladino show for the lead actress to be amazing. Mm. <laughs> and if they weren't, the whole show would completely fall apart. Like Lauren Graham as Lorelei, just you can't imagine any other actress doing it. It just wouldn't work. Sutton Foster in Bunhead's... And now Rachel Brosnahan in this, who is absolutely incredible and so yeah. charming and so able to do these, like, she gets these very difficult long monologues. And, you know, in a lot of ways, this is quite a frustrating character, I think, Midge Maisel. She, she's quite annoying sometimes. And if Rachel Brosnahan wasn't so charming, <laughs> for me, I don't know if it would work. So, I, I mean, yeah, I interviewed Amy Sherman-Palladino. <coughs> Read it. We'll put it in the show notes. And, yeah, I think they spent a long time trying to cast this role. And then when they saw Rachel Brosnahan, it was like, yes, this works. But you're right that it's a departure in lots of ways. And I also asked her about that, about why she decided to do this kind of period piece especially because all her other things have been set in an idyllic version of the yeah. real world if you know what I mean and I guess there's parallels with that because we kind of have a lot of nostalgia and we see the 50s as quite safe even if that's totally not true mm. so I was like why did you do a period piece especially right now when I feel like all culture is sort of like discussed in terms of its relevance to the Trump administration and <laughs> Brexit and yeah. stuff and all she said was like uh we wanted to be employed we wanted a job <laughs> <laughs> So that's literally all I got from that.
0: So just that there was a demand for that, really.
1: I guess so. And it was one of several show ideas that they were working on. And that was the one that Amazon really liked and mm. wanted to go with it's also a personal thing for her because her dad was a comic right in this time in new york very much out of this exact jewish edgy stand-up gaslight cafe lots of cool people world although she wasn't really part of it because her family moved to the san fernando valley that's where she grew up i think she idealized that idea Mm. a lot so it totally makes sense that that this is where it would be set but that's I guess where the writing from life ends because all of these characters and all of the stuff that's being tackled here is totally different to that
0: and I think you're right when you say that If it were being played by a different actor, the role of Midge would be a lot less successful because on paper, you do kind of hate her or not hate her, but you do think, why do you care about her? Because, you know, she's an incredibly thin, absolutely gorgeous, wealthy woman with everything seemingly on her side, even when a really horrible thing happens to her, which is the husband cheats on her. She has her parents living two floors above her who can just look after her children anytime. She has money, resources, a place to go a network Mm. and yet she does kind of whine a lot and act like it's the worst thing to happen to anybody so if you didn't have Rachel Brosnahan making you feel on her side you might think uh well come on, get on with it, stop being such a dick about it in some ways. Well, the
1: thing is, I actually think she's very positive and she does really get on with it. But for me, the reason she's difficult as a character is because she doesn't really have any flaws. So she's kind of like polite to everyone, lovely to everyone, funny, clever, perfect in terms of how she looks, very, very controlling in terms of what she eats and how she does her makeup every day. And her work ethic is very strong and... But she, there's something about her that seems a little bit self absorbed and a little bit disconnected, maybe from yeah. like other people. Sort and it's unreal. Yeah. And so for me, I'd like it if she was a bit more like, oh shit, I fucked something up again. There's no element of that. And every time she tries something, she's just like perfect at it from yeah. the off. Like she's an amazing cook and also an amazing stand up comic. And she's able to educate herself on political issues in about 0.1 seconds flat, even if she's never engaged with it before in her life. You know, all these things make her a slightly frustrating, unbelievable character in many ways but then there's just something about the way rachel brosnahan can like f- flash her eyelashes at you that you're like nah actually i'm really charmed by her
0: <laughs> yeah I've, I've also been developed while well, i've been watching it been developing a theory that that is all so deliberate on the part of the writing and it's why mm. the show is called the marvelous mrs maisel she is meant to be mm. a slightly unreal almost semi-superhero type mm. thing that yeah mm. so it is unbelievable that she could never have heard of the Jim Crow laws one day and the next being like on strike refusing to Get bailed out of prison because it's such an injustice, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. She's like very retroactively, like, there feels like some retrofitting maybe going on in terms of how woke all the characters are. Yeah. And how, I mean, Lenny Bruce is maybe a character who has been specifically chosen because he was very outspoken about civil rights and yeah. was very interested in political topics and very educated and very empathetic but a lot of the other white characters are just like not racist and not sexist. And (laughs) I don't know, it's kind of difficult because you think actually, wouldn't these characters be speaking to each other in a a slightly different way Mm -hmm. in a real New York 50s setting?
0: Yes, but I suppose part of the reason for doing that is so that when Midge does encounter a really like sexist character, like the judge, for instance, I think is in the third episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really stands out as like, yeah, this is vile, because, you know, even before she gets into a big fight with him, he keeps addressing her as like little lady mm. and commenting on what she's wearing and stuff like that. Mm. So I wonder if that's an artful way of saying like, yes, this is a bad person. Look how bad yeah. they are. Something that I did find really interesting with the period setting is that because it's, it's 1958 and we're mostly dealing with Jewish characters, mm. that they do mention the Holocaust quite a lot. But they mention it in a way that I'm sure feels realistic for anyone who was there at that time mm. because it's really recent it's only mm. 13 years ago so like in the pilot episode in the awful scene where her husband is leaving her one of the reasons he cites for his sort of realization that he doesn't like his life is that the rabbi gets more laughs than him in temple when he does a funny story than he does in his sort of amateur stand-ups and mitch goes come on the guy was in buchenwald like throw him a bone <laughs> and it's just like really part wow. of, their ev- of their everyday yeah, it's lives
1: really dark humor isn't it but yeah it's really interesting as well i think the period setting and this kind of relates to some of the stuff we were just saying it gives it this lushness that you get in things like stars hollow Mm. you know this world where like everything seems so cozy and i think part of that are like the amazing interiors and the amazing costumes which Amy Sherman-Palladino, when we were talking in an interview, she was like, the great tragedy of Midge's life is that she'll never, ever be as happy as she was before her husband left her. Even if she has an amazing career and discovers all this new independence and, like, feels really confident in a new way, she'll never be as happy as she was with her, like, picture-perfect life before he left her, and... I think those gorgeous interiors, they make me someone who's like not very domestic and, you know, likes the idea of being extremely independent. They make me feel a bit like, oh, I could do that. Mm. I could do the like housewife, two children, gorgeous 1950s apartment on the Upper East Side life. I could definitely do it. And I think maybe that's part of why this, you know, like you're saying, this super lovely character, all of it creates this world where you're like, you want to spend time there, even if it's slightly unrealistic, even if it's a bit edgeless at times. Because it's also funny to me that it's this very edgy comedy world that we're exploring. But to a modern taste, none of that humor seems particularly edgy anymore. Mm. So it's all very kind of like cozy. But that's sort of... What I like about this show, that's sort of why I've been watching it. I've watched four and a half episodes, I think. I don't know. I think I've
0: you. watched four now, yeah. I know what you mean about the comedy. So far, I have seen one of Midge's monologues that I think does slightly capture what it must have been like to hear that for the first time. And it's the one that she does when she's introducing the band, the impromptu mm-hmm. one, where she starts talking about maybe some people just aren't fit to be mothers. In the same Mm. way that, you know, if if you're not good at drawing, you don't become an architect. She says, maybe if you're not good at nurturing, you shouldn't become a mother. But for some reason, we just assume everyone will be amazing at it. Mm. And I got a sense from, you know, the way they have the audience reacting to that, you know, they cut to women in the audience, like laughing, but also looking really shocked and stuff. Embarrassed. And embarrassed. You think like, well, actually, to be honest, even if a female comic said that now, that would be a shocking in some circles Ogy. so there are moments when it does capture that feeling of like oh my god like she's saying things that nobody should say but yeah by and large and I think, that like lenny Bruce sets they're funny but they're not like oh my god
1: yeah and i think part of what actually where the actual edginess comes through is when you're like oh shit she's unpredictable and really upset mm. and like could say anything right now which is something we've seen in movies like obvious child where yeah. like the edginess is actually in the emotional rawness of it all. And I think that's what happened with Tignataro's first ever stand up set. Like, she had just been diagnosed with cancer and she was like, shit, I've got cancer. And she did this whole stand up set about it where she was like, hang on, should I just do some jokes? And the audience were like, no, 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 keep going, keep doing mm. this. This is incredible. So that, for me, is that where the comedy actually does become genuinely interesting. But obviously you're out of a move because you know you're watching a drama, so it's slightly different to how it you know, might potentially be in a real setting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really am enjoying this. I think part of the pleasure of it is we are still in that very safe zone with this show. And I think that first episode we talked about how the structure is very clever because you meet this picture perfect life and then you watch it unravel over the course of one episode and you get like two comparison points of her wedding speech and her stand-up speech and you literally just see it all fall to pieces and i feel like there must be an overarching structure yeah work doing a similar thing and i and so I'm excited to see where the penultimate and the finale, what directions they go in, because I think that's probably, I feel like ASP is probably saving some punches for those yeah, for those final two episodes, which definitely. is something she does a lot. You know, she she leads you down a really beautiful garden path in her shows a lot of the time and then suddenly you get to the end and it's like the hell mouth and you're like, wait, what?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we should definitely check back in once we've finished watching this, maybe after Christmas yeah. and, and see yeah. what we thought. And yeah, do if you're watching it as well, do get in touch and tell us how your, finding it because i i don't know i have seen a couple of people on twitter saying oh i'm not as into this as i thought i would be Mm. and then being reassured by people who are further on saying no no stick with it you are going to love it you'll see so i feel like this is something that maybe is proving a little bit divisive amongst asp fans
1: The next thing we're going to talk about is Miss You, the new solo single from One Direction member Louis Tomlinson. It's a more pop rock influenced song than his previous single, Back to You, and marks a departure from the electronic influences that had previously dominated his solo music. This is like a pop punk anthem, Miss You.
0: Is it my imagination? Is it
1: something that I'm taking? All the smiles that I'm faking Everything is great, everything is thin is great Going out every weekend Staring at the stars on the ceiling Hollywood friends gotta see them Such a good time, I believe it this time Tuesday night blazed over eyes Just one more pint or five Does it even matter anyway? I mean I actually I love it I think I find it quite like irresistibly fun for me it's very much
0: where Louis should be placing himself totally yeah I really like it as well it reminds me of the times in my teens when stuff like Busted and Avril Lavigne and Blink 182 would really speak to me. Yeah, That's the vibe it gives me. And I really like it. I like how lyrically simple it is as well. He's not trying to do anything fancy or complicated or clever. He's just like, yeah, we went out, we got smashed, and I really miss you. (laughs) That's totally his vibe for me as well
1: Mm. his vibe is believably like i went to a party and i was having a good time and i've got like a little bit of emotional baggage yeah it's not overly intellectualized and i like that you know all of them do this thing where they position themselves as like really normal guys apart from maybe harry and zane but like very very normal blah 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 but I like that he's kind of, I don't know, it just feels authentic from him, this style. Whereas we've seen other One Direction members playing around with styles that just don't really feel very them. And I think Niall feels very him and Louis feels very him. Mm. And Harry now sort of is getting into his groove of like what, what his music is. Same for Zayn. And like, Liam is off somewhere in the absolute clouds like has no clue what he's doing
0: (laughs) but I really don't like Liam's most recent song yeah lyrically it's a good contrast with this Louis one because Liam's lyrics he's trying to be really clever so like the bit in his most recent song where it goes and my iPhone rings bring bring yeah it's like no just no like it's not clever and it's not funny yeah
1: but like harry does that as well where he's like oh she's got the holland tunnel for a nose always backed up and then he does a big like exaggerated sniff where he's like (laughs) you're like cool harry we get it it's coke
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it's probably just my personal prejudices showing but like that i find amusing and the liam stuff i found like cold and a bit forced yeah totally the flip side of that is Louis doing this song where he's just really it seems like anyway he's really simply like saying what he wants to say not trying to do anything fancy yeah. and it just comes across as you say a lot more authentic a lot more honest and it's much more appealing
1: yeah and it's pop you know it's like unapologetically mm. pop Whereas like Harry to a lesser extent I think Zayn and Liam have all decided that they need like another thing to make them more highbrow or whatever the word is like harry's definitely marketing himself as a rock person zane marketing himself as r&b liam doing some weird attempts to market himself as r&b whereas niall has gone down this kind of like folk pop route which Mm. i think kind of works for him it's like very much his vibe and i like it and louis has kind of been like all over the place up till now as you say like a bit of electronic stuff a bit of like dancey stuff a bit of like oh, I'm an authentic singer-songwriter stuff with the one before Miss You. And now this one is, like, very, very, I think, poppy. It's pop-punk with the emphasis being on the pop. I love it. I love the kind of, like, group vocals in the choruses. I love the theatrical stopping of the music in that main line in the chorus where he's like, shit, maybe I miss you. You know, it's really from that kind of midnight memories era of One Direction that he really excelled at, which was all these, like you know group chants about like doing loads of pints getting shit faced like (laughs) too many people in the addison lee that's like a louis line from midnight memories that has always really stuck with me the little shout out to addison lee it feels very british feels very silly but it really makes sense and yeah i'm i'm loving it go louis
0: yeah i really like it as well and i find it just really cheerful and exciting and happy i mean no one's gonna write like big long reads about the direction of Louis Tomlinson's music as they maybe did about Harry Styles. Oh my god, you know what? I think they're going to though. I
1: definitely think they're going to. Yeah, but like not in a By they do you mean you? By they, I mean I mean like it's gonna be in noisy, not in Rolling Stone, right? That's the difference. It's gonna be like I guess that kind of I mean, you know, there's such a big nostalgic movement that's very pro like pop punk and emo and stuff at the moment. And there's a real revival going on. And though this will always be The more mainstream less serious kind of like slightly ironic part of that for most kind of like really big fans of the genre like this is never going to be the one where they're like it really meant something to me it really like moved Mm. me it's going to be the like lol i love this this is so funny, sort of part of that genre. But I definitely think it is going to be part of it if he continues down this road, which I definitely think he should. If you're listening to Seriously (laughs) Louis Tomlinson, (laughs) definitely stick with it. It's really working for you.
0: Yeah. And I really hope that it's a success, you know, that it works because my gut tells me it should be. Like People like happy music that takes them to a good place and this is absolutely what this is so i really hope that that's reflected in sort of how it does and therefore his label and stuff will be like yeah more of this
1: yeah and it's kind of like weirdly indulgent and weirdly like Mm. like you can imagine being like a bit sad and like really shout singing this but with a kind of smirk on your face. I'm really into it, because for me, Louis has been one of the ones really struggling to to find himself post One Direction. Mm-hmm. He was, I think most One Direction fans would say he was one of the biggest fans of being in One Direction. I think right, Louis okay. and Niall very much just like loved being in the band, loved the band, were never ashamed of it. And I think, you know, he's also had lots of really difficult things personally going on. You know, his mum died and he... Had a baby and like loads of stuff has been going on for him. So, and that's you know he's that's why he's someone who hasn't really produced an album or a, co- a coherent sound just yet. But if this is the beginning of it, I'm totally behind it, backing you, Louie. So last week we decided to watch Alias Grace for the first time, which is. Originally a Margaret Atwood novel adapted for Netflix as a TV series. So I imagine very much coming off the back of the success of The Handmaid's Tale, but they must have started making it before that aired. So it's Mm. clearly just a, a dark and dystopian moment and we're ready for Margaret Atwood adaptations in culture. And it follows this girl, Grace, who we know is convicted of murder, but... We're learning via interviews between her and a doctor whether that
0: conviction
1: corresponds to the truth or not. Right.
0: Yeah. So it's set in Toronto in 1859. And part of the first episode is this big flashback to the journey from Ireland because Grace's family came across mm-hmm. from Ireland. And then her father was like a horrible abuser and she got sent out to work to send money back for the family and she had to leave all her mm-hmm. brothers and sisters. And, yeah, so her life is being slowly unraveled via these interviews and we're sort of learning more about what brought her to the situation where what happened happened kind of thing. So I've read the novel. I can't remember. I don't think you have. Is that right?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Never. But I haven't read it for a long time. I think I because we did The Handmaid's Tale for A-Level at school. And Mm. I think... I went on a bit of a binge and read all of the Mar- Margaret Atwood in a very short space of time, which means that I didn't necessarily read it very properly. And I now also can't necessarily remember all of it. Mm. But
1: Well, don't spoil me because I'm enjoying the...
0: I don't think I could if I wanted to. Mm. But the one thing I do remember that is a big part of the book and is obviously central to the DVD show is the question of, is Grace a reliable narrator mm. yeah. of her own life? And there are lots of different layers to that because there's some stuff about memory loss, post-traumatic memory loss, but also, is she lying to herself? Is she lying to other people? Mm-hmm. What even is the truth? Totally.
1: And she kind of deliberately almost provokes the doctor who is kind of asking for her life story and that, that is the frame narration of the series. She sort of provokes him by saying to him, you know, like, why would you trust anything I say a bit? Yeah, exactly. I don't know in terms of the plot, where it goes. I'm about four episodes in and we still haven't reached the point where she's describing what actually happened Mm. on the day of the incident that she's in prison for we're led to believe she murdered somebody or either someone else murdered someone and she got the blame for it. So that day of events is yet to be reached and it's kind of this wild goose chase sort of story. What's it called? Like a shaggy dog story where it's taking all these twists and turns before we actually get to the point. But the doctor is kind of keen for that to happen. He seems to think that being very patient and getting her entire life story is part of the whole process of his... He's writing a report. It's not clear whether it's like for medical research or to try and clear her name or, you know, the <laughs> the scientific basis of this report is <laughs> very questionable. But for his quote reports, he thinks it's very important to kind of take that long run. So it works very well for TV. It's a great structure. Mm, yeah. It's a great kind of delaying. It's a bit like Big Little Lies where every episode you're like, are we going to find out what happened yet? Are we going to find yeah. out this week? And yeah, I had no idea about the novel. I had no idea about the TV show. I started watching it quite late last night in a rush for Seriously. And I still made it through like three and a half episodes or maybe four and a half episodes maybe. I don't know. But I really kind of am hooked and I really want to know what happens.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's incredible. I mean, it's very different to The Handmaid's Tale, but it's no less like meticulously produced in terms of its period setting and its atmosphere and stuff. But I'm also just completely fixated by the way like grace is the center of the story and the way Mm. she unfolds as it unfolds and Mm. yeah i think it's brilliant and they've done so many really subtle but good things around her kind of costume and makeup between her in the present day prison and her in the various flashbacks because she has to play quite a lot of ages Mm. you know she has to be quite young or seem quite young and naive when they're on the ship and then later when she's working and stuff she has to seem different and just like small adjustments to her hair and face really Mm. make all the difference And that actually really gets underlined in the very opening of the first episode. There's this really, not exactly spooky, but quite chilling voiceover from the main character which accompanies this just this bit where she's looking in the mirror and she's sort of making different faces as she's saying, you know, some people say that I'm a liar, some people Mm. say that I'm innocent, some people say that... I was manipulated. Some people say that Mm. I'm a murderess and she's just making like these different expressions are flashing across her face in an instant and then they're gone, Mm. which it's so powerful. It's like some of the best close up acting I've seen in a long time.
1: Yeah, it would be very good for that actress's, you know, reel of Mm. of footage. But for me, I found that a bit too literal because I would have liked it maybe if she'd been impassive instead Mm. and said all those things. But for me, I found it a bit not pantomime, but just a bit too on the nose. But One thing I would say that's interesting about Alias Grace is that compared to The Handmaid's Tale, which you kind of instinctively want to do, is it's a lot less camp. It's a lot less kind of like, you know, The Handmaid's Tale used like a modern soundtrack and had like very shocking scenes of violence. You know, it was a little more um, melodramatic, maybe. Not that melodramatic is a negative word in any sense, but it was a slightly different project. It felt maybe a bit like the people versus OJ Simpson for me in that regard, which, you know, both things I absolutely loved. Whereas this is slightly more somber, it's still got some of the melodrama of like any period drama that you watch where they ramp up kind of the acting, maybe because the dialogue is a little bit more difficult to follow. But it works for me. I'm also really enjoying Anna Paquin's performance. Um, Mm. She plays this woman called Nancy who kind of comes in in the third episode, but you see her in little flashes even earlier. And she's playing this housekeeper who's extremely well dressed and has very beautiful earrings. And there's like a question raised between her in her in terms of her relationship with her a master, as she calls him, with the man who runs the house that she is the housekeeper of. And she's just very menacing in a very kind of almost umbrage way because she's so polite and so pink and yeah. so feminine. And then there's something kind of sexual and threatening about her as well at the same time which obviously you know plays into all sorts of tropes about femininity but it really it really does work for me and I'm kind of like always looking at her (laughs) even though I don't trust her I don't know it's just a fun a really fun character really well played
0: Mm. yeah it's a really clever multi-level adaptation and yeah I'm so glad that Netflix has picked it up and done it because I can totally see something like this getting made like for Canadian TV or something Mm. and then we never get to see it.
1: Yeah totally no it's it's great so what are we going to do for next week Caroline?
0: So for next week we're going to try a radio slash podcast thing rather than a TV thing which is something that's come from the BBC it's called Tracks it's dystopian drama I think set in 1980s in Snowdonia in Wales and Yeah, this was recommended to me as... It's one of the BBC's first, like, podcast-first productions, and they're releasing it in the same way that they do with the BBC3 TV dramas now. So they make the whole thing, they put it all up on iTunes and on their website to download. They are also broadcasting the second series at the moment on Radio 4, but you can just get the whole thing like a box set online anytime you like. Great. So, yeah, the first series certainly starred Romola Garai. I'm not sure if she's in the second one as well Whoa. but yeah it's I think quite a prestige product for the BBC because they want to see if this whole podcast first thing works for them
1: mm. well I'm excited to give it a try we'll yeah. see what we think thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously
0: the pop culture podcast from the
1: New Statesman
0: if you enjoyed the show why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode we're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show.
1: If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there.
0: We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're SeriouslyPod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you enjoyed on the show.
1: We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com.
0: And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast.